The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from around the world over the Internet today. And I'd also like to thank the management team and scientists at Abbott Nutrition for hosting my visit to Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for your enthusiasm and warm reception. In just a moment, 50th Governor of New Jersey and former Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Ms. Christine Todd Whitman, will be joining us to talk about whether the EPA really has the power to impact climate change or not, as well as the growing need to establish a national energy policy that embraces a mix of solar, wind, gas, nuclear, and other sources. But before Whitman joins the program, let me tell you a little about her background. Whitman was born in New York City and was raised in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. She is the descendant of two well-established Republican families and parents who were very active in New York politics. Whitman graduated from Wheaton College with a degree in government and after completing her studies wasted no time diving into Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign. During the Nixon administration, Whitman served in the Office of Economic Opportunity under Donald Rumsfeld. Then from 88 to 90, she worked as the president of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. She followed this success with a bid for the U.S. Senate against Bill Bradley. But it was here that Whitman met her match, for Bradley was a wildly popular candidate owing to his successful career in sports. Far from discouraged, in 1993, Whitman founded the Committee for Responsible Government, which later emerged as the Republican Leadership Council, a group who encouraged more moderate positions within the Republican Party. That same year, she ran for governor of New Jersey and emerged victorious. She became New Jersey's first female governor and was easily reelected for a second term. In 2001, owing to her landmark work in reducing ground-level ozone and cleaning up water pollution in New Jersey, Whitman was appointed by President Bush to head the Environmental Protection Agency. Under her direction, the EPA produced the first detailed account of global warming. As head of the EPA, she's also credited with the National Water Quality Training Program and the aggressive cleanup of contaminated industrial sites. Today, Whitman operates an energy and environmental consulting company, which has been a strong advocate for a mix of energy solutions, including smaller modular nuclear plants. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a leader who is currently working overtime to replace mythology with facts, Christine Todd Whitman. Thank you for making time to be with us today, Miss Whitman. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rebecca. Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. Well, I think we got all the facts right. And uh, I tell you, when somebody reads my introduction, I always start feeling old. <laughs> I know, I know. You say, no, no, please, it's enough. You can stop now. But, yeah, that's enough. That's enough. I don't want to be reminded of everything. <laughs> So, um, you know, I thought maybe we could open the program today by addressing the fact that uh, there are polls which indicate that up to 60% of Americans believe climate change is a hoax. Yet you point out this spring, scientists reported that the uh, West Antarctic ice sheet began collapsing and that could raise sea levels as much as 15 feet. So what do you say to listeners who just aren't convinced climate change is real? Well, I think what they have to look at and what I tell people, let's not spend our time, you know, arguing about whether it's happening or not. If 97% of scientists say it's happening, then I think we can be pretty comfortable that it's happening. Where the argument comes and, and people, there are legitimate questions to be asked is what are the role of humans? 
And again, you've got 97% of scientists that say we have some impact. Uh, the problem we've had is that people tend to ter- talk in absolutes. And what we said is you either believe in it or you don't, and you believe humans cause it or they don't. We don't, as humans, cause climate change. The climate has been changing in the Earth since the Earth was formed. I mean, it was an ice age, and that went away, and we, didn't, we weren't around to mess that one up. Um, but the truth is that what we are putting into the atmosphere and the way we're changing how we live on the land and use the land is so exacerbating, put, putting so much pressure on nature that nature can no longer absorb the changes in the way it did in the past. And if we can do anything to slow that down so that we can better prepare for the consequences, I think it behooves us to do that. And so what we talk about is, and I now even say to people, even if you don't want to talk about climate change, let's talk about clean air. Mm-hmm. Because those greenhouse gases are all pollutants. And we know that um, dirty air is bad for us. It's bad for our health. It's one of the leading triggers of asthma attacks, and it exacerbates asthma in children, which is the leading cause of missed school days for kids these days. So, you know, let's let's look at the whole picture. And Well, let me uh, ask you know, this. Would we have been better off to just uh, bypass the whole climate change argument and just stick with the very thing that allowed us to pass the Clean Air Act, which was pollution and human health? Well, in many ways, yes. But it doesn't, at that point in time, don't forget, uh, people weren't considering carbon wasn't necessarily deemed a pollutant. And mm-hmm. carbon is clearly one of the exacerbators of climate change. So it took... The, this time, this argument over climate change for the issue of carbon as a pollutant to get to the level of the Supreme Court where it has been decided, yes, it is a, it is a pollutant and EPA should be regulating it. And that's been decided twice by the court. So it's, in my mind, let's get over that. <laughs> that's, right. that's the law. That's right. Well, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, this has become such a loaded argument. I, I t- if I'm at a dinner party and somebody starts in on there's no climate change and it's a hoax, I can't even argue it anymore. I, I just put my hands up and think it's going to get into an a, a emotional bloodbath at someone's beautiful dinner party. <laughs> I don't know what I to know. say. It's, it's, I mean, how much evidence do you need that the Earth's surface is warming up? Uh, period. Now we can debate how much. I think it's a fair debate. I'm a scientist and I'll debate how much of that is being exacerbated by humans. But, you know, the point I make is that very early on, uh, scientists, they went a little too far. Uh, yeah. when they, when they first started talking about global warming, they made a hundred percent of global warming human, uh, a, a result right. of human right. activity. And, and because of that, I think we're still trying to correct that. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And that's been the frustration and the environmentalists have done it too. You know, they say, that's what I say. They speak in absolutes. They say humans cause it. Well, we don't. We just are making it worse something that was happening anyway. And also, I think a mistake was made at the very beginning when, rightly from a scientific point of view, it was referred to as global warming. The problem was that for the naysayers, once you had a really bad winter, a really cold winter, they said, tell me about this global warming. And, you know, you know how we as Americans tend to focus on what happens here in this country and don't think about the fact that Mother Nature does not care about geopolitical boundaries and we may not have the hurricanes but that we've seen in the past, but look at what's happening in the South Pacific. Look at what's happening in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, the sea rise is a real thing. The South Pacific Islands are having to move people. In the last some of the native tribes are having to move inland because of sea level rise. It's all part of the phenomenon that I agree is pretty hard to deny because you can see it happening around you. And uh, I, but I think it's more that we did polarize the issue by overstating it. And yeah, as I yeah said, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit yeah. because uh, one thing that I really respect about you is that from day one you've been saying this is not a partisan issue. Don't make it a partisan issue. It's an economic issue. It's a health issue. It's an environmental issue. But you know, the last time I checked, both Republicans and Democrats needed air to breathe. They need food to eat, and they still need water to drink. I mean, we, we, we can at least agree on that, can't we, that we all need those things? I would think so, and I think we can all agree that we'd like them to be clean. 
Uh, right, but I could understand if one party could get away with uh, dirty air and the other couldn't. Okay, well, then we've got a case for polarization, but I, I'm not sure I, I understand no. why this has become a uh, political football. And uh, and what I love about that is is, is even coming with, from a strong uh, Republican background, uh, you have chosen to make this politically neutral as an issue. So I, I respect that very much. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. When we come back, we're going to find out whether the EPA and the Department of Energy are having any real impact. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle do it now go to rebeccacosta.com find out why scientists government leaders and the heads of the largest corporations in america are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior that's the watchman's rattle at rebeccacosta.com a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that richard branson donald trump and experts everywhere are calling a must read that's the watchman's rattle available at bookstores everywhere and online at rebeccacosta.com there are 700,000 horses in California, and I'm wondering how they get around. Hello, Michael Olson here, RV Service Center, 2525 Mission, way up at the top of Santa Cruz with Rena Mills, the owner. Rena, how do they get around? They all get around in horse trailers. And yes, we service horse trailers here at RV Service Center. We do axles, we do leak repair, we do wiring, brake, we do insurance, we do it all. The number one neglect I see most often, Michael, are the axles. Axles need to be serviced every 5,000 miles or two years, and that keeps you rolling along smoothly and getting to your destination. What happens if you don't service the axles? You know those people you see alongside of the road waiting for AAA? That's what happens when you don't service the axles. We offer 20% discount to any members of the Santa Cruz Horsemen's Association. So if you've got a horse trailer, bring it on down to RV Service Center. RV Service Center, way up at the top of Santa Cruz, 25 525 Mission, right off Highway 1, can't miss it. RV Service Center has been locally owned and operated since 1976. Do you have a plan for your money? Does your money come and go like the tides? Do you just leave your finances to fate? Cash is always flowing, money is always moving, and if you don't manage it, it will move away from you. So many people actually spend more time planning their next trip to the dentist Then they do something even more important, like their retirement. You know what they say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Don't leave your financial future to fate. Take charge. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Money Moves is dedicated to providing you tips and tools so you can manage your own money effectively. No one cares about your money more than you do. Therefore, you need the skills to manage your money. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome 
back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former governor of New Jersey and administrator of the EPA, Ms. Christine Todd Whitman. And before the break, you were saying that even if folks are still ambivalent about climate change or its causes, uh, they can probably support the idea of air that's free of pollutants, which is uh, something that uh, we were able to get together on to pass the Clean Air Act. So maybe attacking pollution might be the better strategy now that this issue of climate change is become so controversial. Uh, so, uh, Ms. Whitman, the, the world population is now about, I don't know, 720 billion, and the population in the U.S. is about 320 million. Um, uh, that doesn't even come close to even uh, one half of 1% of the humans on the planet. But you've been v- very clear that the EPA does have the power to uh, stop or slow down climate change. So tell us, why do you believe that? Well, I, what I'm saying is the EPA does have a power, the power to regulate what we, what our industries are doing from the pr- prospect of, of putting out pollutants. Now, that is going to have an impact on the world because part of the problem is, and having been to the G8 meetings with my fellow commissioners, the ministers of the environment from the major countries and the emerging countries, it is very clear that we are not in a position to tell people what to do if we're not willing to take some steps ourselves. Uh, it's very hard to look an emerging economy and government in the eye and say, you need to do these things, and they look back at you and say, you caused this problem, and all you're really trying to do is keep us from getting our economic development because you polluted this way when you were growing your economies. You just want to hold us back. And until we're willing to take some steps, which, going back to your original point, is good for our health, which is good for us just in general and for our economy overall, uh, we're not in a position to really influence everyone else, and we need to. We're still a major. We're, China's surpassing us now in a per capita um, pollution index, if you want, but um, we're still a major factor here. And plus the fact we have a number of companies that we have lots of companies that are international in scope, and they're having to deal with countries that are putting in place some regulations on greenhouse gases. And what they want is some certainty. They'd like a harmonization of these regulations so they don't have to meet different standards in different places. And many of the leading, the CEOs of leading international companies have been to the Congress, they've been to the president, they've been to the EPA saying, please, will you regulate us? Give us certainty to know what standards we have to meet so we can compete with the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of confusion there, and that's not good for business. You've pointed out that there are very real economic impacts uh, that should concern both sides of the aisle in Washington. Can you talk about some of those impacts for a moment? Well, when you see the kinds of things that occur from climate change, I mean, as you know, you're a scientist, no credible scientist will attribute any individual storm, drought, flood to climate change, but they will... They do say this is what you can expect from climate change. So as this occurs more around the world, first of all, you have sea level rise. You have people moving. They're displaced. They're not in a position to earn an income. They are not spending money. They're not buying things that we want to sell them. Uh, if you look at a country where you have various droughts and you have nomadic people, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, where they have to move their tribes around, they then are become homeless. They, there's no place to go. And that means that they are susceptible to the kinds of outreach that some of those countries and those organizations that hate us, Al-Qaeda being one of them, can go to recruit. All these have implications for us, and when you have dislocated economies around the world, that Im- impacts our economy as well. And frankly, what I've seen on some of the boards that I'm on, companies that have stood up and said, look, we're going to control our greenhouse gases, we're going to reduce our use of electricity we're going to reduce our use of water and guess what saves us money saves us money that we can invest in our companies and in what we're doing and um it it, it is something that, um it something i'm sorry i just got distracted for a minute it is something that has this reciprocal impact right that we can understand and, and we need to we need to look at it as a way not it's not a zero-sum game 
It's right. Not, well, I there's an there there's an economic benefit. Every, everyone is always, uh, I think, takes the position that uh, doing the right thing with the environment is going to be more costly. When time and time again, uh, corporations have demonstrated that it saves them money. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, you think about it. Between 1980 and 2008, let's say, our economy was growing. Our real GDP in absolute dollars almost doubled. Our population increased by some 20%. Our electricity use increased, and yet we reduced pollutants. The regulated- We were very aggressive at cleaning up the environment during exactly, that period of time. Almost 60%. So you cannot say that it is environmental regulations that cause economic slowdown. There are other factors at work here, and it's not environmental regulation. Mm-hmm. Now, you've pointed out that one of the most powerful weapons the EPA has is the Clean Air Act, which was instituted by Republican leaders. Uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, you, you've given a long list of uh, ever going back to Teddy Roosevelt and the founding of the first national parks uh, as well, that the Republican Party has a long history uh, of being environmentally friendly, but they seem to have recently uh, abandoned a bit of that. I know, and I don't understand it. I keep saying, you know, conservation, conserve, conservative, that's us. It's, it's, our, it's our issue. Abraham Lincoln actually was the first one to set aside federal lands in Yosemite. So it, it's something that we should come naturally, but unfortunately every issue today is looked at through that partisan political prism, not through the policy one. Decisions aren't made on how do we solve a problem. Decisions are being made on how do I get another vote in my caucus or another percentage on but my But you would think if that was the legacy of your party, you'd have some bragging rights, right? Well, I would. I think <laughs> do I have this wrong? If that was the legacy of my party and we were responsible for all these uh, incredible environmental measures, including the most powerful weapon the EPA has today, uh, to fight climate change, uh, you would think that uh, you would continue that legacy. Well, one would hope. But, you know, in fairness, I will say that every time EPA promulgates a regulation, it's causing somebody to change behavior or spend money for a problem they may not think exists or they may not see. And that's tough. And you have had instances where the agency acted with a little more enthusiasm than science would direct them to have and has that's caused the backlash and as we get people take for granted now that we have clean air they take for granted we have clean water uh, they don't recognize that we used to have rivers that spontaneously combusted and we still have people who go to the hospital in the summers on bad air quality days um, you know there's a we still we've cleaned up things a lot but we still have a long way to go oh boy i remember remember sitting down in la and not being able to see a building that was only a half a mile away (laughs) that's how bad things were unfortunately yeah i'm saying that's how bad things were and you're right we Mm -hmm. have very short memories but there were times where you could not see down the main valley of uh, los angeles Uh, things were so bad and they would give you warnings don't come out of your house now i don't know how that was acceptable but uh but, uh, yeah, the Clean Air Act really uh, was aggressive. And uh, folks like yourself that were in leadership uh, did a lot to make sure that oversight was enforced. And that's another issue uh, altogether. We could do a whole program on enforcement alone, which is, uh, which is also very, very uh, lax these days. Now, we have to take another break. Uh, stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Christine Todd Whitman. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors, and mobile devices transmit it. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume, and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage, allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, you need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. 
Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data. Hey, you guys! Now that I've got your attention, this is Greg from Flavors. How would you like $1,080 worth of free advertisement? Well, now is your chance at the Monterey Bay Business Expo. It's going to be this Thursday, October 30th at the Embassy Suites in Seaside. Come on in. Drop your card in the Skull of Mystery. And maybe you too will be the winner of $1,080 worth of free advertisement. We'll see you there at the Expo. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Moles are really typically not a big deal, and a lot of things get called moles that aren't really moles. Moles are technically, moles are, are little dark spots. They can be a sign of cancer if they change color or change shape. That's really what you want to be careful of, is moles that change color or change shape. Moles are typically benign, and they're not really a big deal for the most part. Uh, but... Every once in a while, somebody's going to have an unusual mole, a weird kind of mole, and those are the kind of moles that can develop into cancers, melanomas. Those are the really big problems. If you've got a mole and it looks weird, it changes color, it changes outline, it grows, whatever. If it seems to be morphing in any kind of way, uh, that's something that you really want to be careful of. Uh, moles are typically, however, not, for most people, they're not really a big deal. So I wouldn't be messing around with them unless you suspect, unless it looks weird in any way. Like I say, it changes color, shape, or anything like that. If it's just a little mole, I wouldn't worry about it. Moles uh, are typically just a pigmented issue. They can be raised or they can be flat, but it's basically just pigment. However, like I say, this is very important. If the change of shape looks weird, grows larger, whatever, in any kind of way, that's something that you really want to take care of because it can develop into a melanoma. So skin darkening, hyperpigmentation, blotchy skin is a sign of number one, excess cortisol, number two, excess estrogen, and number three, deficiencies in antioxidants. Those are the three main causes of hyperpigmentation. If you want a fourth cause, prescription drugs can do it too, probably because prescription drugs mess up cortisol. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm a pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Shirley Jones. Diane Baker. Bobby Hall. Channing Chase. Charlene Tilton. Cherie J. Wilson. David Franco. Peggy King. Shelley Morrison. Karen Condation. Joanne Worley. And many, many more of your favorite celebrities and people behind the scenes in the world of television. That's TV Confidential. Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on AM 1080 KSCO Santa Cruz. Listen and be heard. Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Christine Todd Whitman. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that there has been an ongoing fiction perpetuated that doing what is friendly to the environment costs businesses more money. But in fact, uh, at the very time when we were most aggressively cleaning up air pollution, we see that the U.S. economy was thriving. So um, let's let's move on to energy for a moment because it's it's hard to talk about the impact humans are having on the environment uh, without also talking about carbon emissions and our use of energy. So so uh, we have a uh, I, I I don't know we've got a mixed national energy policy. I, I don't even know if we have one. Do we have a do we have a national energy policy in the United States? And if so, what what is it? What's our roadmap? No, That's the problem. We, we don't, and we haven't had one for a while. And we need that. Again, it gets back to the discussion we were having earlier on certainty. Uh, our utilities have to make investments, and we want them to invest, at least I want them to invest in something. I want them to say, the federal government to say what we want is clean, green, reliable, affordable energy, period, the end. Don't pick the winners within that. Don't try to say which type of energy should be the right one, but let the marketplace pick that. But let's set out the standards of what we expect from our utilities, what we expect from our uh, energy usage. And let's start to focus because we're looking at a 28% increase in electricity demand by 2040. 
And that may sound like a long time for some people, but it's yesterday for a utility that's got to make a multi-million dollar investment. Well, they need lead time to put a, I mean, if we're talking hydroelectric plants or nuclear power plants, boy, that's not, we don't even have enough lead time to get through all the approvals and the environmental impact studies. And and these things have really long lead times. They have long lead times. They have massive investments that are required. And when you are the CEO of a company that has to, by by law, by fiduciary responsibility, if you're publicly traded, return uh, interest to your shareholders, you've got to make some very strategic decisions. And it's tough to do that when you don't have any direction from Congress, when you don't know when all of a sudden the laws might change on you, or you're going to get another regulation that says you've been investing all in this, now you better do it something else. And that kind of uncertainty holds our economy back. That's another, to your, the point that you've been talking about, uh, that, that frankly good environmental policy can be good economic policy as well. And that's another example of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm troubled by the fact that when we set out these goals, unlike businesses, we don't like to set out measurable goals. What is that? How can we tell if we've hit our objectives or not if they're not measurable? I don't think we can. I think (laughs) we have to measure. That's why actually one of the things that that we did while I was at EPA, and, and I was startled to know this was the first time that it had happened. We did a report card on the environment, and it took a long time to get it done. It took us over a year and a half to get it done, to get all the scientists, as we used NASA scientists, we used scientists throughout the federal government as well as EPA and outside at at independent universities to set the benchmark. Where are we? Where have we gone? And and that document is still out there. I don't know. We said it's got to be updated every certain number of years, and I don't know whether it's been updated, but it's a wonderful document it's really serious done in great depth and it tells you where we are where we've gone how we're getting to where we need to go so we can benchmark i'm with you you can't tell when you're making progress if you don't know where you start that's right and i i'd like to see a national energy policy that's got measurable objectives tied to it so we know how we're doing as a country you know and even as individuals now a number of environmentalists i i spoke to they they were kind of confused by you on the one hand you're a staunch advocate of clean alternative energy development uh, as in the case of solar and wind but you're also a strong advocate of nuclear power so uh, mm-hmm. it, it, tell us why nuclear power is also clean energy and why that has got to be part of the country's energy mix. Well, nuclear power is the only form of base power, 24-7 power, always on, that releases no regulated pollutants or greenhouse gases while it's producing power. That's a simple fact. It does not. Um, and it has been proven to be, in this country, first of all, enormously safe. We had Three Mile Island, which was a meltdown, a partial meltdown in the core which was something you certainly never wanted to have happen. But even the operators at Three Mile Island inside the dome at that point were not exposed to high levels of radiation. They've been studied since then. There are no cancer clusters there. So while it was certainly something you didn't want to have have happen, the public was safe. And that's been the worst we've had. Not Mm -hmm. good, but the worst that we have had. Other than that, these, uh, these reactors operate 90% 90% efficiency. They have been enormously safe. They are big job producers and, and big, throw off a lot of money for the local economies. But the point is they do not release greenhouse gases while or other regulated pollutants while they're producing power. And they're, while they're only 19% of our overall power mix today, they're over 60% of our clean power. And as we move forward to get more solar, get more wind, get it to the point where we can actually store it, and it's not, because right now, as as you know, it's peak shaving power. It works when the sun's shining, the wind's blowing, we haven't figured out how to store it effectively. All of those renewables have to have base power behind them because we're a 24-7 society. And so when you look at what kind of base power, it's always going to be a mix. I mean, you know, coal is... 47% of our overall power mix today, you're not going to replace that overnight. Natural gas is great. We're taking advantage of that, as we should, but there are concerns around fracking, and we have to make sure we're doing that right. But it's also, there are a lot of gas releases. It is not an environmentally benign. It's much better than coal. 
as far as releases go, with carbon particularly, but it is not a non-polluting source. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's a mix. There's no silver bullet. I don't say that we have to go all nuclear. But, I mean, you look what happened in California to your emissions since you closed down the reactor there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your emissions have gone up. They've gone up, yeah. Because... Because nuclear is also, once nuclear is up and running on a per kilowatt basis, it's one of the least expensive forms of power. Absolutely. But what about unspent nuclear fuel? I mean, uh, we've got no central facility for that waste material. Uh, And, uh, you know, do we want 100 separate commercial plants stockpiling nuclear waste at those facilities? Uh, You know, that, that that doesn't seem very safe. Not ideally. Of course we don't. Uh, and the Congress figured that out, and they said there should be one national repository, and they said it should be Yucca Mountain in Nevada, and as long as Harry Reid is in the Senate, that's not going to head of the Senate, it's not going to happen. Now, even though we as taxpayers and ratepayers have uh, paid millions, billions of dollars to get that site ready, but be that as it may, right now, first of all, if you take the, all the spent rods from the 50 years of operation of some 104 reactors we've had over time, stack them end-to-end in one place, they'd fill up one football field to the height of the goalpost. Mm-hmm. So it's not something the size of the state of Maine, which a lot of people think it is. No, but it and sticks those, around for a long time, and it's spread oh, yeah. out over oh, yeah. 100 you yeah. know, reactors. It's in 90, 95 different places. Yeah, I mean, that. I'm not comfortable with 95 different locations to protect and, and secure. No, I mean, they've been doing right. a good job of it. Uh, they've been doing a good job of it. They're most of them relicensed for another 30 years, but it's not optimum. But then again, Congress has got to act. Uh, if you don't want to do Yucca Mountain, in spite of what we've spent on it, then the president did appoint a commission to look into alternative sites. They recommended that it should be at multiple sites, maybe two sites. And they started looking into that. We need to move forward with that. I agree wholeheartedly, and, and the utilities would like that to happen, too. But as a, the, the, we should feel good in that for every 10 tons of nuclear waste, those being stored above ground, there's 100 tons of concrete and steel reinforced concrete uh, around them. So they are safe, but it's not optimum. It's not where we should be. And the other thing is that you've got almost between 95 and 97% fissionable material left in those rods, meaning mm-hmm. unused energy. And France and Japan have worked on this, they're taking technology that basically was developed in this country, but then we got out of the business and they've right. taken it to the next step. Well, you can reduce that to 2 to 2 to 5%. Right, and by you, right, reusing the unspent energy in there. And right. that, that's, that's basically some new technology. Uh, for some reason, we developed some laws to not, that uh, don't allow us to easily do what France has done. But, uh, right. but, but, you know, that's another thing Congress can act on as well. And we have to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit more about uh, nuclear energy and the new modular smaller sites. You're listening to the Costa Report. We're fortunate to have Scott Caraccioli with us to explain how the process of making sparkling wines influences a winemaker's approach to making a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. It's really a driving factor in terms of style and really kind of making it a little bit more old world. Um, We use all French oak, which is the same thing that we use in our sparkling wines. So I would imagine that someone who's not making sparkling wines will take a totally different approach. Yeah, it's a matter of viewpoint when it comes down to when you have a French winemaker making bubbles, you end up with a leaner, more European style of wine. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where you have to spell it to drink it. Holiday season is just around the corner, and I want to share one of my favorite tips for being able to avoid that last-minute dash to buy something that screams, I didn't put much thought into this. Now imagine a different scenario this year. Imagine the surprise on your loved one's face when they open the first page of the Watchman's Rattle and see a custom dedication in their name by the author. The best part is it's so easy. 
Just go to RebeccaCosta.com, do it right now, and click on the book cover and presto. In less than three minutes, you can request the inscription you want. So do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com, and this year, give an affordable, thoughtful gift that says, this is for you and only you. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Prices for base buildings only may not be available in some areas. This is an alert. If your business or church is planning to build this year, now is the time to call General Steel and save. That's right. It's not too late to start building. And General Steel can save you as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. As much as half. Call General Steel now for the quality and the price in a pre-engineered steel building that you just can't beat. What does this mean? Well, how about a 50 by 100 foot building for under $35,000? Don't pay thousands more than you should without calling General Steel first. Call 800-98-STEEL today and save as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. Don't let rising steel prices has put your project in jeopardy. Call now to lock in your price for three months. Call 800-98-STEEL. That's 800-987-8335. Don't spend thousands of dollars more than you should. Call 800-98-STEEL today. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supplies' friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. Michael Olson's second law of the food chain. The farther we go from the source of our food, the less control we have over what's in our food. Now that so much of our food comes from thousands of miles away, we should all get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show tracks down who is putting what in our food. If you have a comment about the second law of the food chain, tell me. Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSEO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating Grunt Radio on the Food Chain. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Christine Todd Whitman. Uh, last month that you wrote an article that laid out the role uh, government should play when it comes to energy. You said that the government should set goals, but then the markets determine which sources are cheapest and most viable. So can you take a moment to talk about that distinction for a moment? Yeah, again, I think the government ought to say what we want out of energy. And I agree with you, we ought to set targets, but I think it should be clean and green, affordable, reliable. And those standards are pretty easy to determine. But when the government starts to try to pick winners, and I'm thinking of looking at, and I know this gets a lot of people, but when you look at corn-based ethanol, Mm -hmm. corn-based ethanol did not improve gas mileage. It was not great for the environment in the sense that farmers were producing a lot more corn, which they were putting a lot more pesticide on, a lot more fertilizer on, and when there's heavy rain, that gets washed off and that gets into our water systems and that leads to dead zones and things like the Gulf of Mexico. It dislocates food sources. I mean, there are a whole lot of ripple effects from that when Congress tries to pick a winner. That could have been part of it, but to say that's where we're going and to put a a tariff on Brazilian ethanol coming in that is sugarcane-based, that's when you get into trouble, I think, when the federal government tries to get down to that level. So, so do you want the federal government to get out of the subsidy and tariff business when it comes to uh, energy? I think there's always a role for the federal government to play in subsidies and bringing new uh, technology and, and new things online, a support system. But we've got to be careful because every time we do it, we do dislocate the market. But you can't leave things solely to the market. I do agree with that. Uh, well, you know, we we try every time we try to pick a winner or loser. I agree with you. We we we're, we're trying to play venture capitalists, and venture capitalists only get it right ten or fifteen percent of the time. The best of them, the best right. of them, only get it right ten or fifteen percent of the time. Is that what the government should be involved in? <laughs> ten or fifteen percent of the time. How many how many Americans would say it's all right to waste eighty five percent of my money? 
my tax no, money. I, think, I, mean, <laughs> I, think, I think most Americans think we do that anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Well, well tell me about these uh, smaller modular nuclear power generators, which can be up and running in a much shorter period of time. Where are we on those? Those actually are moving along. The federal government now has some money for research and development on them. They're being researched and also developed in other parts of the world. What, what it really means is that they can be built faster, much less expense, safer environment, more easy to regulate and to protect. And there are things they, they will serve as a niche need. They're not going to replace base power for a major grid. But they can go in and you can you build them inside and you ship them to where they're going, set them on the site and make them work. And they can do small towns, remote areas that aren't on the grid, that don't have power lines where you'd have to have a big construction project in order to get energy to them. Um, and so there's a, there's a real... There's a real, I think, place for these, and they're coming, and it's it's exciting a lot of people. You're seeing some money being put into them by the big utilities as well. Well, I'll tell you what. In China, they built a massive 3D printer and managed to put 10 houses up in 10 days using a 3D printer. And I And I will bet you, I'm not a betting woman, but I will bet you at some point we'll have a 3D printer on the back of a very large truck and we'll be able to print you your own nuclear facility. <laughs> I don't think I want that. <laughs> I don't know about you, Rebecca, but I'm not there yet. You're, you're not. Uh, it's okay. I can bring you along. I can bring you along there. I live in the land of technology. and I, I, this kind That's of, true. Well, because then it'll be standardized. It'll be turnkey, sure. right? Yep. And, and we need standardization because so many of these nuclear sites are one-offs uh, and they well, don't have standardization yeah. and and, well, uh, and standardization is safer it means that yeah. uh, that safety practices can can be more uniform as well um well, now that's the good news in the next generation that's what's happening you're having that the four that are being built in this country now the four new ones all use the same technology the westinghouse ap1000 and there are really only about four technologies now that are being used around the world, and that you probably ever see used here. So that that is a good news because you're absolutely right about that. Now, uh, I happen to know you're operating a very successful consulting firm which specializes in energy and the environment, but uh, I have to ask you this. Do you have any plans to return to government, especially when you're witnessing firsthand uh, how polarized Washington's become? You've got to be tempted. Uh, well, you know, you, you want to be part of the discussion, and as long as I'm part of the discussion or part of policy making, I'm happy. I don't see running for office because I don't can't imagine. I don't want to be in the Senate. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the. I don't have the temperament. God bless the people who do have the patience and the temperament. I I like the executive side, and that means the presidency. And you've got to want that more than life itself. And I don't. Plus the fact that there's no way I'd get a nomination. Could get a nomination well, to the Republican what, I, Party. I'm going to tell you what my father said before he passed away. He says, "What you got to do is elect somebody who doesn't want the job." <laughs> and I think he. I think well, uh, there was wisdom there. Uh, yeah, I know. I think he, he did. He was onto something, most definitely, because that, that's the problem I see with so many of, not all, but so many of our elected representatives. What's what's happened now is the job is the most important thing. Keeping it means more to them than anything else. And when that's what you care about, then you don't take on the big issues because you you cannot make any decision. And I certainly learned this as governor. I knew it. But I learned it when I was serving at the countywide level. You know it in life. You cannot make any decision that's going to make everyone happy. You have to do what's in the best interest of the greatest number of people. Then do everything you can to mitigate the negative impact on others. But understand, you're not going to be able to satisfy everybody. Well, you've certainly been a role model for for that philosophy in uh, New Jersey and also as head of the EPA. Unfortunately, uh, we are out of time. But uh, before we let you go, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your service to our country and for making time to speak with us today. And uh, I, I do hope that you will consider, I'm just saying consider, uh, coming back into government because um, I think my dad was on to something. Uh, he said one day uh, it's the person we draft to be our leader who doesn't volunteer, but we draft and who re- reluctantly accepts. Uh, and when that happens, we will get the leader that we deserve. So uh, I thank you for making time to be with us today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And thank you for what you do and the way you do it. Well, thank you. Come back again. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to 
to make about our interview with Christine Todd Whitman today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Now, I know there are a lot of listeners who believe that climate change is a hoax. And uh, and even if you do believe it to be real, you might not be convinced that human activity has much to do with it or that we can do anything to stop it. So did Whitman change your mind today? Well, I'd like to hear from you. So please do send your comments and insights to me. RebeccaCosta.com is the website. That's my name.com. Easy to remember. Just click on the word contact at the top of the homepage. And if you missed the full interview with Whitman or any or other previous guests for that matter. Remember, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. We keep episodes up on the website for three and four years. They're all right there at RebeccaCosta.com. That's where you're going to find my weekly radio blog, videos of recent speeches. Uh, on that, con- and, and there's also a contact page I mentioned where you can leave comments uh, about the program, uh, even suggestions for future guests and topics that you want to see us take. Tackle. Uh, just click in, uh, in the pull-down menus at the top of the home page, and you'll find uh, a website that's chocked full of uh, interesting facts. And while you're at the website, make sure you grab your autographed copy of the Watchman's Rattle, because uh, if you're having trouble telling fact from propaganda, uh, this is the book from you. Uh, just click on the cover of the Watchman's Rattle. It'll take you over to, to a page where you can order it, and it only takes a minute or so. And if you're getting ready to dive into the holidays and looking for ideas to customize a an affordable gift, well, then get your order in for the Watchman's Rattle because we're inscribing the first page the custom dedication at no additional cost. That's right. The dedication is completely free. So imagine the surprise on your loved one's face when they open up the first page and see that the book's been dedicated to them by the author. And where else are you going to get a customized gift for under 20 bucks? So do yourself a favor. Skip the scented candles, the slippers, the necktie this year. Get yourself an inscribed copy of The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. My guest next week served as the National Security Advisor to President Reagan. Mr. Robert McFarlane will be in the House. He claims that the United States must put thousands of military advisors on the ground to successfully destroy ISIL. I'm going to ask you, is this what President Reagan would have done? Find out next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management.